Today we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 12. And we went through what the Apostle Peter was assuring his, the believers. You know, he's going to die, he knows this, he says it in his letter, he has a uh, sense from the Holy Spirit that his time on the earth is short, so he's leaving a legacy, and he's, you know, care, caring for these uh, believers as sheep. And, you know, he's going to be in a good place in glory with the Lord, but his concern is for them. So he assures them a few things, especially in this chapter, number one, that there will always be false teachers this side of eternity, and that's important. We spoke last Sunday about how powerful words are, even in our uh, political and religious climate today. Uh, so the false teachers will lead those astray. They'll uh, distort God's love and God's salvation, uh, and that's an important thing for them to be really inoculated with. Uh, we're going to see also that he, God will judge these false teachers. I'm sure many of us know at least one person that got involved in some type of cult, uh, some type of leader with a silver tongue, and you grieve and you pray for that family member or friend who is kind of caught up in this mess, and they... Everyone else sees the problem with this person's teaching and the way he treats his, uh, those under him, but they don't. So today we're going to see the continuation of exposing their, the false teachers and their ultimate demise. Now, if you're new to this fellowship, the Bible is filled with encouragement and promise, and we love that. We love to hear encouragement. There's definitely some here this morning, but it's also equally filled with warnings. God you know, made us, and he gave us free will and a lot of times in the flesh, we'll choose wrong instead of right. We know that uh, man in, in aggregately has rebelled against God in the garden, in the Tower of Babylon, and we're going to see it in the times of Revelation. Uh, but we need warnings. And I will tell you, I am comfortable with boundaries. I love the warnings. I love the conviction. As a matter of fact, I read this chapter, and I had to go to prayer and say, wow, Lord, what an eye-opener it is for me. You know, don't rest on your laurels. Don't become arrogant or lifted up. And we always need to be coming to the Lord for him to teach us and to warn us and keep us in the right place. So that's where we are in these last two Sundays. Verse 12, Peter says this, But these, continuation from last Sunday, the false teachers, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who counted pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices, and they are accursed children. So here's a continuing description of these false teachers. The first 11 verses said that, uh, what characterizes this type of person is they walk in the flesh instead of walking in the spirit. They're rebellious. They're self-willed. They're slanderous. And today he continues. Number one, verse 12. They're brute beasts to be caught and destroyed. In my mind, I thought of wolves. And I actually looked up wolves and learned a little bit about wolves. And wolves' only job is to kill. They'll start with the ungulates, the hoofed beings, and they'll, if they're, they're not around, they'll take down medium-sized animals and even eat rodents. Their whole existence is just to devour. And they're dogs, they're canines, so they just eat and eat and eat until they can't eat anymore. Now, there are also spiritual predators that match, and there's no coincidence that 
the Apostle Peter uses these words by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that these predators in a spiritual sense are looking for their own gain so they'll prey upon others, not being concerned what they do to them. The second thing he says in verse 12 is they speak evil of things or dignitaries. We saw that in the last uh, 11 verses that they're ignorant of. This is a person who just runs at the mouth without any reverence. And I would say that's endemic in our culture. And sometimes people just, oh, the young people. Don't just blame the youth. It is our culture. Sometimes we have a a, a lifted up uh, opinion or inflated opinion of ourselves and even just as Americans. So that reverence, it needs to come back. And these guys certainly don't display that. Verse 13, the pleasure to carouse. The word for pleasure in the Greek is hedone, where we get the word hedonism. This is a sensual debauchery. This is a double life while at the same time teaching God. Now, there are heresies, there are bad doctrines that, you know, God tells us about his love, and then Satan tries to pervert our understanding of his love. Um, God gave us the law to protect us and to show us our need eventually for a savior. Satan comes in through these false doctrines under the guise of Christianity, antinomianism, libertinism, and says, you don't have to follow the Old Testament anymore. Don't worry about stealing, lying, committing adultery. You can do all that stuff because you're covered under the blood. That's very poor exegesis. That's very poor doctrine. Uh, It's wrong. Uh, He says that there's stains and defilements carousing in their own deception while feasting with you. So this type of person will just lie to your face. You ever have somebody that you just know they're lying, but they're so good at it. They can smile. They can even make eye contact, right? You're supposed to watch the shifty eyes. Some of these people are so good, they can just look right into your eyes and lie to your face. And at the same time tell you, it's okay, believer. You don't have to worry about holiness. Do all this other stuff. Don't worry about it. It's covered under the blood. Speaking of leaders and um, false teachers and those who may give an appearance of religiosity, um, there was, I first saw this in a law enforcement brief, and then I saw it again recently. According to the Coalition Against the Trafficking in Women, which is the sex slave trade, which unfortunately is alive and well in the world, one of the biggest clients for Russian girls that they take to Israel are the Orthodox Jews. So these guys, they'll do the double washing, the triple washing of the hands. They won't flick off the light switch on a Sunday. Uh, They won't mix their milk with their meat. But at nighttime, they live a completely double life and they become Johns. That's pretty scary, right? So this is, a lot of people can, now listen, it doesn't mean that all of them do that. It just means that right now, they're the biggest clientele, one of three groups. Verse 14, he says, eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. Remember, they're not spiritual people. They're fleshly. And this is a lifestyle, right? You can look at even the, uh, the early Mormonism. Did you know, and you can look this up and Google it, Utah was one of the last states to get into the United States because of the rampant polygamy. The federal government said, you can't be part of us until you get rid of this practice. Uh, they still have problems in Utah today because of this. Their leaders, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, the first two leaders of the Mormonism, uh, were one of the biggest polygamists. They actually would marry uh, wives, women that were already married to other men. Eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. I don't care what, listen, this isn't politically correct to say, but it is what it is. Right? And it's still being practiced over there. He says, beguiling, enticing, unstable souls. Cults and false teachers will continue to be around so long as there are vulnerable people. 
vulnerable, gullible, weak-minded. You know, God doesn't call us to be fools as Christians. He calls us to use our brains. He gave us a brain to make good decisions, to make prayerful decisions. But unfortunately, many pray, even in, on churches. They look for some gullible people that they can find in a church to um, you know, continue their vices. Uh, so spiritually, wolves, as long as they're straying and weak sheep, there will always be wolves out there to try to attack them. And he says, lastly, have a heart trained in covetous practices. And these are scam artists with the Christian moniker. Now, in this chapter, what's interesting is the word destruction is used six times in one chapter. Judgment, three times. Perish, condemn, punish. But you know what? That's good news. You see, God isn't going to allow mankind to ruin his heaven as mankind has ruined the earth. We know that a new heaven and a new earth will be created. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Our sense of justice is inflamed when we hear about a killer or somebody who hurts a child and gets off on a technicality or because you can afford a, a, a very good lawyer team. It bothers us, but that's not going to happen in God's heaven. The justice system will be very simple, the great white throne judgment. Those will be judged, and that will be the end of it. And the correction system, well, we won't need that either because we'll have the lake of fire. Uh, for those who have rebelled against God and not covered under the blood, they will be incarcerated in their free eternity. That's very sobering. I kind of feel like I can get a break because there'll no longer be need for police officers or pastors. So I just get to worship Lord. Yeah, this is great. No responsibility. No. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be like. Verse 15. <laughs> you thought it was over? I got something for you to do. <laughs> Verse 15, <clears throat> he says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. Some of you are snickering because you know Numbers 22. It's a great story, especially the dialogue between him and his donkey. But he really was, a, a, I'm going to read, we, can't, we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read some ex, excerpts from that. There was a type of relationship between Balaam and God. He spoke to him. So I'm going to jump back to Numbers 22 and just cover a few verses just to get the gist of this. Balaam, again, he was sought out because the people knew that he, he spoke to God and God spoke through him. Uh, Balak is the king of Moab. And he sees the children of Israel getting closer and closer to him. And he's a little concerned because they're mighty because of God's help. Instead of turning to the Lord, he asks Balaam if he'll ask God or if he would curse the children of Israel. So this is what Balaam says. The princes or the elders of Moab in verse 7 uh, and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab uh, stayed with Balaam. So, of course, he speaks to God, and God says, you know, don't go with these guys. Uh, these are the children of Israel that I, that I love. I'm, I'm going to bless them, and I'm not going to curse them. So he, in verse 13, he says, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And it goes on and on, and they try to entice him with more goods and riches and honor and, and all that kind of stuff of the world. Uh, and in verse 18, Balaam says, Though Balak were to give me 
his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. So he seems to start off really well. And then, of course, it takes a turn for the worse. Uh, so anyway, but he says, now, therefore, please stay here tonight that I may know more of what the Lord is going to say to me. So maybe he's kind of hoping that, listen, I really want what they got to offer. Um, I'm going to go to the Lord again. Anyway, uh, Balaam ends up going with the, he uses his free will. God doesn't want him to go. But Balaam goes, he gets on his donkey and starts to go towards uh, the dignitaries of Midian to just talk a little bit more about this. Verse 25, we, we, we see that there's an angel of the Lord in the path, um, and he's a pretty frightening figure, and the donkey notices it. And verse 25, it says, um, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again, he strikes her twice. And the angel of the Lord goes further, uh, the donkey stops, and in verse 28, it says, The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, now, now a donkey's talking to him, right? What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam says to the donkey, because you have abused me, you mocked me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey says to Balaam, am I not your donkey in which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. So the donkey's winning the argument. I mean, this is, this is amazing. To me, if I was riding on a horse and the horse stopped and went, hey, Joe. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know. I'd be so quick to I'd think it was a candid camera or something. I don't know that I would start engaging in a conversation for fear that one of my friends was playing a trick on me and set me up. So anyway, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes. He sees the angel of the Lord and... Um, Balaam, in verse 34, says this. He says to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Thou, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. So you see this back and forth. And Balaam goes to Balak and says, look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. You see this guy kind of going back and forth between the things of the world and the things of God. And in verse 23, which is uh, verse 24 and 23 are amazing because God gives Balaam four oracles. As a matter of fact, his oracles are so important that they're recorded in Scripture. And furthermore, 2417 is about the coming Messiah. So, uh, you know, this guy had a relationship with the Lord, but he, just like many in the Scripture, he eventually um, takes money from these guys and says, listen, I can't curse the children of Israel, but I'll tell you what you can do. If you set them up with these women and entice them and have this you know, orgy, um, God will judge them himself. It was a brilliant plan. It was satanic, of course. So he got his money. The children of Israel were cursed. And then uh, Balaam ends up dying a death. And I don't know where he is right now, but it's, I'm going to guess it's not in a good place. So what, what happens is uh, he as well as Gehazi and, and even Samson and many others in the scripture would, would prefer the things of the world uh, to the things of God. And it's very sad. See, we can look at politicians, we can look at rock stars, we can look at celebrities and point the finger at them. They don't know the Lord, uh, most of them anyway. Uh, they don't profess to. And we can say all they care about is the things of the world, riches, fame, and all that kind of stuff. But what it's really sad is when it has a Christian label on it. Right? It's so easy for us as believers to point fingers, to point fingers in the Old Testament, but sometimes we need to be a little bit convicted 
uh, in our own lives. Are we honored serving the Lord? Or is it more important for us to have everything that's in the world? I want Jesus in heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Who does? But I also want everything that the world has to offer. And sometimes Christians walk a precarious line between one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord, and they find that they become unstable, like James tells us. So we see that in the the scripture. And I would ask this question to you. Why have you come here? Why have you come to a place where the Bible, God's word, is read? And it's read in its entirety. We don't sugarcoat it here. Why have you come, or or are you looking for Christ? Why have you come to the cross? These are important questions to ask. Are you looking for peace? Well, you'll find it. This isn't because of me or the person sitting next to you, but God's word will show you how to have, number one, peace with God. No more enmity. Never have to go like this and think he's out to get you. God loves you. You're under the blood. It's all taken care of. Have you come for looking for the peace that surpasses all understanding? That next level. Okay, I am a believer, but some pretty horrible things are happening in my life, but I'm close to the Lord, and I have this peace that's washed over me. I don't understand it. You can have that. That's available to you. Have you come here seeking a relationship with the Lord? That's available through his word too. What about purpose? Oh, everybody's looking for purpose. What's my purpose in life? Some people go through a whole life's journey wondering what their purpose is. You'll find purpose. The word of God will will wash over you and it'll, it'll reveal it to you. Have you come here looking for an easy life? Forget it. It's not going to (laughs) happen. See, I tricked you with that one. (laughs) Your life will only become more challenging because now you're involved with something much bigger than yourself, right? You're involved with something that's in the spiritual realm, that there's wars being fought in the spiritual realm, and you will be a part of that. You will live forever with the Lord. However, Satan is not going to allow you to leave his camp that easily. Well, I'm in the camp of Satan. You're only in one or two camps. And in the end, you only go to one or two places, period. I don't care how the media and the liberal theologians try to parse it. It's it, right, after this. So you're not going to be let go very easily from from the hold that Satan has on you and and thinking you don't need God. So things are going to heat up a little bit for you. But God will give you the tools to face those challenges. I can assure you that. Verse 17, these, again, referring to these false teachers, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, to whom the gloom of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome... By him also, he is brought into bondage. So the same MO of these guys keep repeating themselves. They're wells without water, uh, clouds carried by tempest. You know, in those days, and even, look, listen, what do we know of running water? You go home, you go to the bathroom, you turn the faucet, and water comes out. Wow, it's a miracle. Most of the world, 75% of the world doesn't live like that. And they didn't live like that back then. If you were traveling in that desert area, try to put yourself in that position. And you came, it's hot, you know, you're sweating, you're thirsty. And then you see a well, oh, wow. And you go up to the well, and you, you, you'll set the bucket down, and it, boom, it hits the bottom. No water in there. Cursed is this well. It promised me something, but it doesn't deliver. Same thing with clouds carried by a tempest. The farmer needs rain. The gardener needs rain for her flowers, right? 
and you see the, the black clouds coming overhead, and you're like, wow, this is what I've been waiting for. Maybe you get a little bit of a sprinkle, but the wind blows that cloud away. There was a promise of water. Cursed be those clouds. It didn't give any water, right? There's a frustration there. Water is very important and emblematic in the scripture. Jesus said that the one who believed in him, that uh, torrents of living waters would flow from him. And that's emblematic of the Holy Spirit. But these guys give a, an appearance of religion, appearance of faith, appearance of being a do-gooder and settling our souls when it comes to the afterlife, but they don't promise, but the promise is never delivered. So that's important to understand. And... Those that don't deliver the truth can only expect the gloom of darkness forever. James 3.1 tells us, let us not all become teachers, because don't you know we will receive a stricter judgment? So in the scripture, God says, I have different standards for different people. You're just a person coming in, listening to the word. You have a responsibility. You're teaching the word. You have a great responsibility. That's frightening. And that should be frightening for anybody who teaches the word. To just teach God's word, don't put a spin on it, Teach it the way God sets it forth. But these guys don't do that. Verse 18, they speak great swelling words of emptiness. I can't help but be reminded of the political season. Every year, there's somebody, guy, girl, man, woman, accomplished, silver tongue, comes up, tells you everything you want to hear. To the younger folks, I'm going to get you jobs. To the older folks, I'm going to take care of you in your retirement years. To the unions, I'm going to take care of you. Come on. How can you make all those promises and keep them? You can't do it. Just be honest. I would rather somebody say to me, it's a real grim picture and everyone's going to have to chip in, vote for me and I'll do the best I can, than somebody who tickles my ears and tells me what I want to hear and then they get in and they, they leave me flat. So politicians do it, and there's good politicians, but preachers do it and false teachers do it. And it's not a good thing. And the rest of verse 18 is really sad. It says, he, he does, they do entice them, they allure them through the lusts of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So you see this picture of maybe a person's just getting back on their feet. Maybe they had struggled with uh, a, dr a drug or a adultery or whatever the case may be, and they're really trying to do the right thing. And these guys, they, they find them, they take advantage of them, they don't let them get a handle on it, and they bring them back down. And telling them all the while, it's okay, don't worry about that stuff. See, the hearer has a responsibility too, and let me say this. I have a problem with cults. I, I feel sad for those who are in those cults. But I will say this. If there's a spurious teaching, and you like that teaching because it feeds your flesh, you're going to be held responsible too. So the hearer beware also. If you want to go somewhere where a pastor is all blinged out, you know, he drives a fancy car, nicest suits, the most expensive jewelry, and he says, you can be like me. You just have enough, enough, enough faith. God wants you to be rich and never get sick. That's not scriptural. But there may be something in you that, that feeds your flesh. Hey, well, you know, I, I do want to be rich. You know, I, maybe I should hang out here for a while. What about all the scriptures where it speaks about Jesus and Peter and Paul who didn't have anything? And that, that promise is not in the Bible. So the hearer needs to be aware too. Don't follow a teaching because it, it sounds good to you, right? Verse 20. This is pretty scary here. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. 
For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now we can look at this in context and all take a deep breath and say, well, none of us here are false teachers, so this doesn't apply to me. Contextually, you would be right. However, if we looked at everything strictly contextually of the time period, nothing would apply to us today. So the truth is, if somebody is preaching, you, uh, preaching the gospel to you in the judgment, they will either be your best friend or your worst enemy. And I will tell you, today you've heard enough to know that you need to really pray about a decision to follow Christ, make him your Lord and Savior, or not. Because in the judgment, you know, I'm certainly going to look at those many, many men that went before me and kept planting the seeds with me when I was in my worldly life, and I'm just going to want to hug them and say, oh, thank you for, for preaching to me, and I'm here. Uh, some uh, will say, gee, I didn't know, and the Lord will replay the videotape or the DVD or whatever he's got, nice equipment, I'm sure, up there. <laughs> Look, whoop, somebody, about five people preached you the true gospel and you've rejected it, so be very careful of what you're listening to uh, and certainly act upon it and don't ignore it. So here's the, the big question that many people ask is, well, what about, this seems to imply some things. I'll start with this in verse 20. Um, what is the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are they saved? Were they not saved? Were they never saved to beginning? Right? And that's a, that's a big debate. It's been happening since the 1600s. Well, I will tell you this. The word epigenosis, there's three basic words that uh, I know in the Greek, in the scripture, and they have different meanings. But I will read it from someone who exegetes that word and helps you with the uh, understanding of the word of, in the Greek, and they can say it much better than I do. Uh, it's the Life Application uh, Bible. It says, the Greek word gnosko is the normal verb to know. When used with the prepositional prefix epi, epigenosko, the meaning becomes comprehend thoroughly, know exactly. Though some scholars have taken this to mean deep and thorough understanding of Jesus, most likely it means the knowledge of Christ that a person gains at conversion. By knowing Christ when we become Christians, we begin the process of receiving grace and peace in abundance. So again, the question is, what about once saved, always saved? I'm not going to answer your question. Uh, I'm actually, <laughs> well, I will answer it. That is not, that's like somebody saying, God helps those who help themselves. It's been repeated long enough, you think it's in the scripture. It's not in the scripture, it's five-point Calvinism. Uh, and what it basically says is perseverance of the saints. However, in this portion of scripture, it is clear that they knew them, and they're being double damned because they knew the Lord, and they turned away. It's better for them not to have known in the beginning. So it's pretty heavy. Now, the other part of the argument is verse 22, where it says, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now, some will say, and it's a good argument, he didn't say sheep. He said a dog and a swine. And in that culture, they were, uh, you know, unclean animals. So clearly, the person never had a conversion experience. And again, we can get into this whole thing between the Calvinists and the Arminianists. Calvinists say that once you say you're saved or God has elected you, that's it. You can't, even if you want, turn away. And the Arminianists will say, well, you can easily lose your salvation uh, to the point where it's, it's ridiculous. I would say this. Who cares what the, let these two, they've been arguing for um, 
about 400 or so years now. I would just say this, do what the Bible says. See, men can get caught up in sitting together and putting on their, their, their smoking pipes and intellectualize the, the word of God and theology to the point where there's no love left in it. I'm not going to get into that argument. I'm just going to say, do what the Bible says. Have you left the world? I have 15 years ago. Joe, don't get re-entangled. Don't let the latter end be worse than the beginning. Stay, walk in the spirit, choose life, right? Um, remain with me. Jesus in John 15, he says, abide. The word abide means to stay. It's a command to remain with Jesus, implying that there's a choice there. So again, it's, it's an interesting thing. Here's another scripture that I want to read. Um, Matthew 12, starting with, with verse 43. Matthew 12, 43 which really kind of goes with this. And again, this is a scripture that I can't say that, uh, you know, I, I don't love talking about judgment. I don't love talking about damnation, but it is where we are in the scripture, and I'm going to do it. Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 43. Jesus says this in his own words. He says, before that, the context is holding the generation that he was in to a higher standard because Jesus, as the light of the world, had come, and the, one who, the ones who rejected him we're going to be held to a higher standard. So Jesus says this in 43. When an unclean spirit, a demon, goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. So this demon was possessing this man. He, he goes out of him. He's looking for rest. Then he says, I will return to my house, which is the man, from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So it shall also be with this wicked generation. So what's going on here? This demon leaves. The guy's getting cleaned up. The house is cleaned up somehow. The demon comes back. He's not barred from that residence. He comes back, and then he says, I guess he wants to lay claim of his territory. He brings seven more wicked demons with him so this doesn't happen again. Remember what I told you about the underworld, how they fight for souls. You're hearing the word of God. Your house is being cleaned. If you don't know the Lord, now is the time to consider your future with the Lord. Because when, if you go back and forth enough times, I really believe, Jesus said it, that the last state of you would be worse than the beginning, and it's in line with 2 Peter 2.20. Be very careful what you do with God's word. We also see in the parable of the sower, which is part of that, that some seed took root, it grew, it sprouted, right? The seed was the word of God, the, the soil was the heart, it sprouts, and at what point the cares of the world wrap around it and choke it off and kill it. And again, that's a choice. The world will not just come and engulf you. Right? You have to take steps to be a part of the world and go back to that and dabble with it and play with it, and eventually you're going to have problems. I know from, for those of you who are new here, you're probably saying, what did I walk into this morning? <laughs> I will say this. I would rather teach... I would rather teach, be careful, warning. I like those. I like the conviction. I like to know, and my wife is good at it, when telling me where I'm kind of going off a little bit in my behavior or what, what, whatever, and I need to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, keep me on the right track. Jesus said that the uh, wide road is the road that leads to destruction. Many find that road. 
He says, but few people find that narrow road that leads to everlasting life. I would prefer to teach, be careful, believer. Look at your life. Look at what you're into. Right? Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't get re-entangled. Warning, caution, police tape. I would rather do that. Crime scene. Don't walk here. <laughs> then teach, hey, man, it's cool. Let's go out. You know, let's hang out after church. And yeah, who cares? We don't have to witness to anybody. That holiness stuff, that's for, that's for stale people. You know? I wouldn't want to teach that because I think that's destructive. I'd rather teach warning and you guys are all in the kingdom than uh, do it the other way and uh, people think that they might be saved and they're not. What's really going to seal the deal is when I, when I read about the wheat and the tares. Wheat and the tares. Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus speaks a lot of uh, parables here. And uh, after the wheat and the tares, he speaks a few more. But there's one parable that really sticks out to the disciples uh, because they come to him and they ask him specifically about that parable. So I think we need to go into it. Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather them up uh, the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. We see that in uh, John 15 also. I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches that don't produce fruit, that aren't tied into the vine, they're just good to be cut off, withered, and burned into the fire. Very sobering scripture. We're talking about life and death. I just turned 43. I remember when I was six years old. Our life is a vapor. We should be more concerned with what happens when we leave earth than all the things that we have to do today and this week. Very sobering scripture. Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. They probably put Peter up to it. Verse 37, he answered and said to them, he who sows good seed is the son of man. Okay, parable of the sower. The field is the world, a little bit of a variation here. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. Wheat and the tares. So you have, and, and I've looked up, you know, there was, there's a tear in that area in the Middle East, and they call it the bearded darnel, which when it grows up with the wheat, is very unfortunately uh, indigenous to that area. It's very plentiful. It's a problem for farmers. 
So it grows up with the wheat, so it looks similar to the wheat, but it, when the seeds come forth, it reveals that it's different. Uh, and you can actually see a trained eye can tell the difference between a bearded darnel and a blade of wheat. So what happens is Satan sows these tares. And the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And the wheat are those uh, good grain and those that really want to follow the Lord. I will tell you that in every church, there's going to be some tares. Every church. I don't care how great of a church it is. I don't have care how great the pastor is. I don't care if the pastor stands outside like a bouncer and, and gives everyone the third degree before they come in. You can't see men's hearts, but the Lord can. You may be sitting next to somebody right now who is here for the social aspect of it, who doesn't really care about Jesus. They're here for the historical aspect, the building, whatever the case may be. Now, I don't say this to start looking at each other with suspicion. Look at your spouse. Are you really saved? That's not why it's here. It is here to open our eyes to a truth and also not to live in self-deception, right? Um, I believe, according to the scripture, that the object of God's affection is always the unsaved world. John 3.16, right? First John, where he speaks about Jesus, is not only the propitiation for us, but also of the halas cosmos, the whole world. Do not love the things of the world. The world is always looked at, the majority of the times, in a negative. The people in the world, the activity, the rebellious nature of the world. God's affection and love is always towards the world. The fact that there's wheat in the tares just tells us a spiritual truth. So I would say to you that I think this is a good introspective look at ourselves. To look into our hearts, ourselves, and see, am I self-deceived? Am I really a follower of Christ? Am I a poser? Am I, am I just here for other reasons other than the Lord? If that offends you, you know, it's God's word, and I don't make any apologies for it. But I will say this, the last verse. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. We know that the sun is beautiful. God created it for us, you know, it's... Even in the winter, that seasonal affected disorder, you know, we, we have a tie to the sun. We love our sun, our S-U-N. But the Bible is clear that in the book of Revelation, in the end, there won't be anything that illuminates aside from the Lord himself. It says there will be no more sun, no more light from, a, from another object. The light will come from God himself. So check this out, believer. The righteous. Who's righteous? Who's just? Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. The righteous will shine forth as the sun. That's pretty amazing. So no more big ball of hot gases. We have God, and then we have us shining forth as the sun. So God actually, I'm not going to say he, I should have studied this a little bit more. I'm trying to find the right, right words. We don't become gods. We would never be equal to him, but he, he blesses us with some of himself, with some of his glory. Just like the Holy Spirit is inside a true believer. He seals us with a part of himself. Very impressive. So we did talk a lot about some hard things in Scripture. And listen, if you want to email me or talk about it more in detail, we can do that. Scripture says what it says. And the reason I believe that Jesus speaks more about damnation and hell and bad things in the afterlife than heaven is because he wants none of us to go there. Understand that. It's out of love. If I warn you about something that's dangerous to you, it's not because I'm nagging you. It's because I care about you, right? Because I want to be, I want to emulate my Lord and Savior. So 
the encouraging part of this, and let me leave you with this, and the Bible says, whosoever would come to him would not perish but have eternal life. Don't be a tear, be the wheat. Let's pray. Father,